0: Well, as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning, we're going to do something that is not uh, very original, but it is very fitting, It's very appropriate. We just celebrated Thanksgiving as a nation, and this morning we're going to see in Scripture how thankfulness or gratitude, how that is to function in our lives, not mainly as Americans, but as Christians, as those who know God, as those who follow Christ. Now, when we do a quick survey of thanksgiving or gratitude in the Bible, gratitude comes up uh, surprisingly often. Gratefulness seems to be one of those elements that is just central to the faith, central to knowing God. And in a moment, we're going to read four texts, and I want you to listen and hear how central the idea of being thankful and expressing gratitude to God is in each of these texts. So our main text is Psalm 100, and it tells us that thankfulness are the very, is the very way we are to enter the presence of God. Uh, gratitude in this psalm is esteemed almost as much as praise or worship. Then we'll hear from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, and, and that text tells us that the will of God, you might think, well, what is the will of God for my life? The will of God for every believer, every follower of Jesus is, quote, gratefulness in all circumstances. Thirdly, we'll hear from Colossians chapter 3, which says we're to do everything giving thanks to God. And then the fourth text we're going to read is Romans 1. It's a negative example that lists a lack of gratitude is part of the reason why those outside Christ stand condemned by God. And so thankfulness to God goes side, and, side by side as honoring Him as God. It's, it's that elevated. They cannot be separated. And so the main thing that um, I think the Lord wants us to see out of these texts is that gratitude, it's, it's not this nice moral icing on the cake of our relationship with God. It is the very framework of, that we are to relate to Him. It's, it's the, the Christian calling card, if you will. We are to be people of gratefulness because we know God. And so let's listen to these four texts as our readers come. Um, let's hear the word of the Lord now. Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to Yahweh, all the earth. Serve Yahweh with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that Yahweh, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For Yahweh is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. First Thessalonians five, sixteen through eighteen. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Colossians three, sixteen through seventeen. <clears throat> Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Romans one eighteen to 18-21 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. One of the ways that we see uh, the centrality of gratitude in those verses is to hear how often God commands it. Right? Uh, what we just heard, um, those weren't uh, suggestions, right? As, as we read them, um, this is the will of God for you. In all circumstances, be thankful if you feel like it or if you think that's a good idea. Um, that's not the way these texts read. We are commanded to give thanks. And if we had more time, we could survey lots of other places in this book where we are, as God's people, commanded to give thanks thanks to him. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind or what comes to your heart when you think about being commanded to give thanks. I don't know how that um, hits you or or how that sits on you. What comes to my mind is actually a person. Um, Her name is May Homer. Uh, May was born in 1932, and she died almost two years ago at the age of 89 may loved spoiling her grandchildren uh, but may also had a very peculiar sense of style with which she spoiled her grandchildren and i know this because of one of may's grandchildren um now as a boy i like many probably 10 11 year old boys some of you have them i was very materialistic um, I loved stuff. I lived for birthdays. I, loved for, I lived for Christmas gifts. I, I loved it. My gifts, I should say. I, I loved my gifts, right? Um, but when it came time to unwrap a gift from my grandma and grandpa Homer, it was a very uncertain kind of experience. You were living on the edge of your seat, if you will. Um, on the one hand, my grandparents were so generous. I knew that some of my favorite gifts would come in packages with their name on the tag or the card. Um, and, And those types of gifts I did not need to be commanded to give thanks for, as you can imagine. But there was another category of gift that might come in a box with their name on it. You see, my grandmother loved to knit. And she used what I remember as that rough, scratchy yarn. Uh, I, I don't know how many slippers and sweaters, hats and scarves I unwrapped as a 10-year-old boy knowing I am never going to willingly wear this. Um, they were, there were other gifts also in this category. My sister and I, we were the only grandchildren on this side of uh, the family, and we were just the apple of our grandparents' eye wherever they went, and they mostly went to Canada. Canada. Uh, which meant that the other thing that could be in that box was a brand new sweatshirt from Nova Scotia or places I had never been. I had more Canadian-branded apparel in my school than all the other students combined. (laughs) Holding that box, you never knew what was in there. You were taking your life in your hands. Now, this second category of gift is Where my education in gratefulness came from. Because I can remember my mother telling me as a boy, as I unwrap that new pair of slippers or whatever, say thank you, Nathan. Say thank you. There's the command, do you hear it? The command to give thanks. And there weren't just the public commands, there were the private conversations. They were thinking of you so much. They didn't have to get you anything. Do you see how much they love you? There she is, commanding thankfulness. Now here's the question I want to pose to us this morning. Are the Bible's commands to be thankful to God like my mother's commands to be thankful for the Nova Scotia sweatshirt and the scratchy slippers? Are we talking about the same type of feeling, the same type of emotion, the same type of thanks Are we to be grateful to God because, well, He does love us, even if some of His gifts seem to miss the mark. And, hey, it could be worse. I mean, He didn't have to get us anything, right? Is that what we're talking about when we come to texts like Psalm 100? It is not. That is not the kind of gratitude and thankfulness. And Psalm 100 is going to show us Why? So, if you've closed your Bible, would you please open it with me to Psalm 100? I want you to see in this Psalm that Psalm 100 was written, as the inscription says, as a psalm for giving thanks. And we see that particularly in verse 3. Verse 3 commands us to give thanks to God. Twice, it says, know that Yahweh, he is God, it is he who made us, and we are his. I'm sorry, verse 4. Verse 4 commands us to give thanks twice. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. And it says again, give thanks to him. Bless his name. But this psalm doesn't only command us to give thanks to God, it is written to inspire us to feel a deep sense of gratitude toward the Lord. Which is something, for all of her trying, my mother could not get me to do for those slippers. She did not inspire me once to actually feel gratitude. This psalm is meant to do a kind of heart work within us. The aim of the author is not merely to fill our heads that we should be thankful people. The aim of the author is by the Spirit of God to actually transform us and make us thankful people. And so that's what we're aiming for today as we survey this psalm. Now, we know that this is the author's aim. We know that this is God's aim from the structure of the psalm itself. And so this is where I want you to see it in the psalm. I want you to look at the verses and see a pattern that comes out of these five verses. Because it goes back and forth between two themes. It goes back and forth between how we come before the Lord. That's kind of the first theme and why we are to come that way, reasons for why we are to come that way. And so we're going to spend a, a few moments in talking about the how we are to come, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about the why, because that's where the heart work is done. That's where we see where we are inspired and motivated to actually give thanks and not just told in our heads, well, Nathan, you should be thankful. Okay, so let's talk about the how, and then we'll talk about the why. So how are we to come? To see how we are to come before the Lord, look at verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip over verse 3, because that's the the second category. We'll get to that later. And we'll go down to verse 4. So verses 1 and 2, and then skip down to verse 4. The psalmist writes, Make a joyful noise to Yahweh all the earth. Serve Yahweh with gladness. Come into His presence with singing Skip down to verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Do you see how those two sections go together? They're describing how are we to come before this God? How are we to come into his presence? And they tell us, well, we are to come joyfully and loudly and gladly with singing, all of that's in verses 1 and 2. And then verse 4 says twice that we are to come giving thanks and with praise, blessing the name of God. Now, it's fair to point out that that, that list of things really isn't a list of many things. It's different descriptions of the same thing, Right? Because what the psalmist is not asking us to do is evaluate us as we walk in the door this morning, well, am I coming joyfully? Okay, yes, I think I'm coming joyfully. Well, how about ready to sing? Am I ready to sing? Okay, yeah, I think I'm ready to sing. Do I come gladly? Ooh, maybe not gladly. You see, it's not a checklist of different things. He's using a collection of synonyms to describe the one way in which we are to come. We are to come with Loud joy and glad-hearted songs, or another way to describe our coming, uses the language of verse four, is with grateful praise, and that's all the same thing, right? We are to come with gladness, thanksgiving, joy, praise, just spring-loaded to say, yes, bless his name. That is the way that we are to come. And and this psalm is commanding a global worship of God because it says make a joyful noise to Yahweh all the earth. And all of that global praise is to be grounded in gladness and gratitude. Serve Yahweh with gladness. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Now, brothers and sisters, that means if God wants us, if God is commanding us to come that way, That means that there are ways that God does not want to be served. There are ways that he does not want us to come, right? God does not want us to enter his gates just doing our duty, merely. We have a duty, but it is not a stoic, cold, well, Sunday morning, got to do my thing. Got to do my duty. No, that's not what he wants. As if we only serve him out of some sort of moral obligation or or sense, well, I should do it. It's the right thing to do. I'm not really that happy about it, so I'll do it. Nor does God want us to come with grumbling. Well, got to go into the courts of of God again. No. Or even like wishy-washy ambivalence. Do you know how many people in our city, and and maybe we do this sometimes, enter in the doors to a worship setting where they're gathering with the people of God and they're not excited at all about it. It's just another thing to do. Sometimes we come that way because we are weak and we are sinful creatures, but that is not the way this psalm is inviting us to come. That's not the way that God wants you to come. He wants so much more for you in your coming. He wants you to come gladly and thankfully with joy. That is how we are to come before God based on Psalm 100. So that's the how. And we see that in verses 1 and 2 and then verse 4. Now the why comes to us in verse 3 and 5. Why are we to come with thanksgiving? Before we turn our attention to those verses, let me tell you what the answer is not. God does not command us to come with joy and gladness and thanksgiving because he wants people who face trials and tribulation during the week to put on happy faces Sunday morning, right? That is not what he wants. That's what I did with my grandma's slippers, right? Say, thank you, thank you. There is no thankfulness going on in here. It's coming out my lips. It's not here. That's not the why we come with thanksgiving, We are not to come with lip service. And so let's look at verses 3 and 5, which describe the why we are to come with real hearts of thanksgiving and inspire us to actually come that way. They inspire gratitude by giving us six really profound reasons why you and I should come to God with overflowing gratitude every day. Now, the six reasons... For gratitude in the psalm, come in two sets of three. There are three reasons in verse three. Three more in verse five. I'm not making that up because preachers like sets of three. That's just the way the psalmist wrote it. Um, so we get these two collections of three. Verse three, the the, the three three reasons in verse three describe God's activity toward us, what God has done or what he is doing. And verse 5 describes three reasons for thankfulness grounded in God's character or who he is. So we get what God does. There's, there's reasons to be thankful for what God does. And there are reasons to be thankful for who God is. Now, I'm going to take them in reverse. We're going to look at verse five first. Order probably doesn't matter. It's just what makes the most sense to me. Um, And so that's the the way I thought we'd take them this morning. Let's look at verse 5. Psalm 100, verse 5. For Yahweh is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness is to all generations. You see, if we ever lack gratitude in our hearts to God, if we're not primed for that loud, joyful worship of God, the author of Psalm 100 directs us to think about God's character, to to meditate on who God is. There are very large books written about the nature and character of God, but in this simple sentence, we have three aspects of God's character that inspire gratitude in us. Let's look at them Really briefly. First, God is good. Do you see that in the first part of verse 5? God is good. Now this idea is so simple, it makes it into some of our earliest children's prayers. I don't know if you as a child um, said that prayer or if you've ever done this with your family, right? But God is good. And someone at the table says, all the time. And someone else says, all the time. And then the first person says, God is good. Yes. And yet, this idea of God's goodness is very much at the crux of the matter to how much gratitude and thankfulness we feel toward him. It is natural, is it not, to feel gratitude for good things. When's the last time you gave gratitude to somebody for a bad thing? It just doesn't happen that way, right? We give gratitude for good things. And the greater the good, the greater the gratitude. And so if the thing is so good that you can scarcely believe you get to have it, your gratefulness could be an overwhelming emotional experience, right? It could reduce you to tears, it could leave you breathless, because the thanksgiving mirrors the goodness. And this is where, thankfully, gratefulness to God is very different from my gratefulness to my grandmother. Because yes, she had good intentions, but frankly her gifts were not good to a 10-year-old boy, right? Her intentions were good, which is a gift in itself, but her execution came up short. Never with God. Never with God. You do not once, as long as you live, have to settle for good intentions with god because his execution comes up short sure. not once i mean th- th- this book counts what i don't know maybe 3 4000 years of humans interacting with god and there is not one time that well lord we praise you because you have good intentions thank you for your good intentions god no, he blesses people with goodness and showers upon them good things that they couldn't even imagine again and again and again. God is the giver of every good gift and every perfect gift, James one seventeen. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, Psalm 84.11. He makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Matthew 5, 45. God does not just have good intentions. Yahweh is good. Amen? Amen? Now, there are certainly times when in our limited wisdom and our sinful tendencies, we do not like the gifts that God gives us. But brothers and sisters, if we could see things from his perspective, his perfect perspective, I submit to you that we would not wish for anything else. When we get to glory and look back on our lives, should he give us his perspective, we will say nothing but thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because he is good. That's the first reason or motivation for why come to God before this way. Why come before God in this way? Because he's good. Secondly, God's steadfast love endures. Verse 5 doesn't only tell us that God is good, but that he is full of steadfast love. You see, love isn't something that God does as much as it is something that God is. And so the Apostle John tells us twice in his first epistle, God is love. The Bible claims that Yahweh, the God who made everything, is a God who wants to be most known for his abounding, overflowing, steadfast love. Now, every human being on planet Earth wants to be loved. When we talk about the Lord being full of steadfast love, we we should feel hooked by that, right? We want to be loved. We want to be loved by our friends if we're married we want to be loved by our spouses if we work we want to be loved by our coworkers by our families etc we all know the longing to be loved by someone and we probably all know the pain of wanting love but not receiving it have you ever walked through those kind of lonely times i just i, I want to feel loved i want to know love and yet i look around and i just don't see it or feel it anywhere well god is a God of steadfast love. Steadfast love, the the very words we see here in Psalm 100, it's a translation of the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed is one of those mysteriously deep ancient Hebrew words. Hesed is the kind of love, it, it goes beyond social expectations It goes beyond mood swings. It goes beyond the ups and downs of life. It goes beyond whether it's convenient or not. God's steadfast love, it never wavers or falters or fluctuates. Yahweh loves like no one else. His steadfast love endures. You never have to think, even for a moment, well, God, I know you loved me yesterday, but how are we today? His steadfast love, Love endures. And that is a reason to be thankful to him. One of these deepest yearnings of our heart, the yearn to be loved, he showers upon us with a steadfast love. The last reason we see here in verse 5 and God's character is that God's faithfulness is to all generations. So if Yahweh is good. And if he is full of steadfast love, well, then it only makes sense that his faithfulness goes generation after generation, after generation, after generation. Just as his God's heart never fails to love, so his will never fails to come through on his promises. That's what faithfulness is. He never falls short of what he promises. What he says, he does. And so when God says to his people, I will never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5, God fully intends to do just that. He never wanders away from you. He never gets distracted. He never gets caught up in other things because he's faithful. Even when you sin, he never changes his mind, never leaves you. He has pledged himself to always be with you, and his faithfulness is to all generations. Or when God says Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He means just that. You can take him at his word. And so knowing the will of God, it's not this deep mystery that we somehow have to piece together. No, he's told us. That he will instruct us. He's told us he will teach us. He will counsel us. Are you facing something that you don't know what to do? Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I make this decision? Do I do that decision? Well, you need go no further than your God, who has promised to instruct you and counsel you. He will come through on that promise. Put him to the test. He will come through. God's faithfulness is to all generations. Or Jesus said in John 16:33, I have said these things to you that you in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world. That's just that's not just a nice thought. Like Jesus isn't making Hallmark cards out there in the desert. He's saying those things because he means them. When you wake up to a day of trial or hardship and you think, how long can this go on? Call John 16.33 to mind. In me, you may have peace. I have overcome the world. What is the proper response to a God who is full of goodness full of steadfast love and full of faithfulness that endures to every generation. How should we come to such a God? How should we enter his presence with thankfulness, with praise, with gladness? You you see, Psalm, Psalm 100, this isn't God sitting up from on high saying, you know, you better be thankful. This is the author putting on display reason after reason for why we should be inspired to feel this deep sense of gratitude and worship every morning. And so if you ever find yourself lacking that kind of gratefulness and gratitude toward God, think no further than his character. That's what verse 5 tells us to meditate on. All right, we said that there was another set of three in verse 3. Psalm 100 gives us three more motivations for gratitude. Let's look at verse 3. This is God's activity. So we're moving from God's character and who He is to His activity and what He does. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that Yahweh, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Now, this verse begins with a similar message to where we end in verse 5, right? Know that Yahweh, He is God. That's, that's what verse 5 was doing. It was unpacking the character of God. This is who God is. And, and here verse 3 is picking up on that same theme. Know Yahweh, He is God. But rather than telling us who God is, the author instead tells us what God does, particularly what He does regarding His creatures, like you and me. And there's a threefold progression. Maybe you caught it. The author talks about creation, possession, and care. And so this is how God's character, his goodness, his love, and his faithfulness from verse 5 are expressed toward flesh and blood people like you and me. So we're on reason four, I think. Reason four for, for thankfulness. God created us. God created you as a man or a woman made in his image. You have eyes that see color. You have ears that hear melody. You have vocal cords that allow you to communicate with your other creatures, um, the other people that you know. You have a brain that allows you to learn and figure things out. You have a will to make judgments and decisions. A nervous system that feels the heat from a fireplace or soft blankets on your bed. You have muscles and bones that can move hundreds of different ways. Taste buds that, as far as the scientists can tell us, can distinguish between 10,000 different tastes. Many of us experienced that this weekend, right? There is a completely unique fingerprint On all ten of your fingers, no one else in the universe has the same set of swirls and dots as you do. They are yours, and they are yours alone. Now, God, being the creator, he could have created you as anything. He could have made you a rock. You could be cold, gray, strong, sure, but not really going anywhere and not really feeling much. But he didn't. He created you as a person. He gave you all of this extravagant ability and wonder and beauty. I mean, David himself wrote, I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's not David boasting about himself. That's David knowing he was a created creature, a a person that God made and saying like, I don't understand why I can taste 10,000 different things, God. You could have made me to make eat oatmeal. I mean, bugs eat leaves all the time. Can you imagine what if every one of your meals was a leaf? He didn't do that for you. He made you, and in our humanity which God created, we see God's masterful design, his creative power on display. We have so many reasons to be thankful to God simply because of how he made us. So we see reasons for thankfulness in that he created us. Reason five, I I call this possession, but what I mean by that is God makes us his own. So the author moves from creation to possession and he says, you created us, we are his now, we, we could interpret this as just kind of the natural outflow from being created by God. I mean, that's kind of like copyright law, right? Like, we, we even as humans recognize that the person who creates the thing gets to own the thing. And so that's why we have things like copyright law so that we know that the person who created the thing owns the thing. I don't think that's what Psalm 100 is talking about. I don't think this is just the natural outflow of God creating us. And the reason I think that is because although we don't know the individual who wrote Psalm 100, we know that Psalm 100 was written by an ancient Israelite. And the whole identity of ancient Israel was not just simply being people created by God, but people who were God's treasured possession. He chose them in a sep- in a special way and owned them in a special way. And so if you go back to kind of the founding of the nation in Deuteronomy, you'll find that Moses tells the people of ancient Israel this statement twice. This is Deuteronomy 14.2 or 7.6, same language. He tells the people, this is all the people, this isn't just like one or two special people, this is all the people of Israel, you are a people holy to Yahweh your God, and Yahweh has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You are chosen to be a treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. He made all the peoples on the face of the earth, right? But not all the peoples on the face of the earth are his chosen possession. You are his chosen possession. And I think that's exactly what Psalm 100 is getting at. We are his. Now, if you are here today, thankfully, you don't have to be an ancient Israelite for that to be true of you. If you have turned from your sin, if you have trusted in Jesus' cross... Then Ephesians 1.4 says that you were chosen in Christ that we should be holy and blameless before him. Doesn't that sound like what Moses said to the people in Deuteronomy? You are chosen in Christ that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so those who place their faith in Jesus become God's treasured possession. There are few things that will make you feel, feel, not just know, feel a sense of wonder and unworthiness like the idea that God chose you. He chose you freely out of all the people on the face of the earth. It is such a high privilege to be owned by him. All right, the sixth reason to inspire gratefulness. Look at the last line of verse 3. We are his people, we just kind of talked about that, and the sheep of his pasture. Now the imagery of being one of God's sheep is such a tender posture for God to take. In the Near East, shepherds cared for and loved their sheep, sometimes more than their own families. They would sleep with the sheep. They risked their lives to defend the sheep. They bound up the wounded and they healed the sick among the flock. The shepherds knew each sheep by name. And the sheep knew their shepherd's voice. And so you could be standing there at a, at a watering hole in the desert and see multiple flocks come together and you would think, how are you ever going to entangle? They all look the same. They're all these white bleeding balls of wool, right? And they're all getting watered. And yet you'd see one shepherd call to his sheep, And that part of the group would separate out to him. Just this intimate, intimate relationship between shepherd and sheep. Psalm 23 is probably one of the best-known psalms in the Bible, and it begins with these words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, Now, Psalm 23 and I think Psalm 100 here... The psalmist don't sugarcoat life, right? I mean, Psalm 23, it talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death and enemies who are near. And yet, if God is our shepherd, we will one day see that his care for us is perfect. There's no flaw in it. There's no way he could have cared for us better. We shall not want. That's what it means to be cared for by God. And so when we, when we take a step back from these six different reasons for why are we to come into the presence of God with thanksgiving, why are we to come, we are just overblown and, and come with this who God is, what he does for us, He is full of goodness, steadfast love, faithfulness. He freely created us. He chose us in Christ for his treasured possession. He cares for us through the mountains and valleys of life. There is nothing we could ask for him that he does not already give that is good. Every good thing he gives to us. Now this leads us to a really important question. This is where we're going to end our time this morning. It's not a hypothetical question. It's not a question I'm asking just to make a point. It's a question I want you to consider and I want you to think about. Why? Why do we not wake up each and every morning bursting with thankfulness and gratitude toward this God? Now, I'm I'm assuming something about you in that. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just kind of taking my own experience. There there are rare mornings that I wake up just with praise to God in my heart. And I thank God for those mornings. But if you're like me, those aren't most mornings. Most mornings, I don't wake up just spring-loaded. Oh, yeah, let's go before the Lord and praise. Let's worship Him. Thank you. Let's enter His gates with thanksgiving. I mean, if that was the normal human experience, Psalm 100 would be even shorter, right? It would just say... Come to the Lord, because I don't have to say anything else. I don't have to tell you how to come, because you just know that. And so we wouldn't have these six reasons to inspire gratitude in us. Maybe here's a more personal way to ask the question. Why do I struggle to have a thankful heart when it's so easy to feel ingratitude for the things I wish I had or the situations I wish were different? if you're like me, those come much easier to my heart than thankfulness and gratitude. And the answer, brothers and sisters, is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is a deeply rooted human problem that most people in our world are completely blind to and therefore don't really think about at it all. It's the condition, sin is the condition of the human heart that views God as untrustworthy, as miserly, and as out of touch with what is good for us. In other words, sin believes lies about God. Do you remember our last reading from this morning? Um, Krista read it from Romans 1. Let me read again verses 18 and then 21. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. There's the lie. There's truth suppression going on in the world of men and women. Then verse 21 For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. To him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's not a problem that's out there. <laughs> that's a problem that's in here. Thankfulness to God should be the easiest thing in the world. But our sin lies about God, and the result is that our minds are futile, they're broken, they don't work properly, and our hearts are darkened. They're shadowy, they're deceived. That's why, brothers and sisters, you and I do not wake up every morning spring-loaded for thanksgiving to pour out of our mouths to our God. And notice in, in that verse in Romans that God, he doesn't take kindly to being lied about by futile, foolish people, does he? Our sin puts us under his wrath, and his wrath is right. He is in the right, we are in the wrong. Our ingratitude is simply one evidence that this is true. The remarkable thing about Psalm 100 is that the command for thankfulness is a secondary command. It's a secondary command because it commands us how to do the first command, and that primary command is to come. Isn't that amazing? I mean, sin is not a 21st century problem. Read about the ancient Israelites. They struggled with it too. They were a grumbling, ingrateful people. And yet here's Psalm 100. Come, enter his gates. How can that be? How can that be? We noted how Psalm 100 uses the imagery of sheep and a shepherd to describe our relationship with God. It is not the only place in the Bible that uses the imagery of sheep and a shepherd. Psalm 23 says that if the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. But Isaiah tells us we all, like sheep, have gone astray each of us, to our own way. We do not lay down in the fields of God under his authority and under his rule, under his provision, under his kindness, giving thanks to him. We stray. We go it alone. Thankfully, sinners can come to God because the Son of God came to sinners. John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and is not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Remember, God cares for us. He cares for us as a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and they, my own, know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Brothers and sisters, Jesus offered up his life for you on the cross, suffering under the wrath of God that we deserve, buying us back, redeeming us with his own blood. I mean, this is the pinnacle of all we're seeing here in Psalm 100. That is the pinnacle of God's goodness. It is the pinnacle of God's faithfulness. It is the pinnacle of God's care. It is the pinnacle of His love. And so if we need reminders of God's goodness and His steadfast love and His faithfulness, we need to look no further than Calvary. Amen? If you want to know the wonder of being a new creation, of being part of God's treasured possession under the perfect care of God, the shepherd, run to no one other than Jesus. If you run to Jesus, give your all to Jesus, submit to Jesus day by day, you'll actually begin to experience the reality of Psalm 100. Thankfulness will come easier and easier because you're living and experiencing his goodness more and more and more through the cross and through everything that was purchased there for you. There will be nothing that you treasure more than God. And as he becomes better and better and better to you, do you remember the the goodness of the thing received mirrors the thankfulness that springs in our heart? Well, as you know the goodness of God more and more and more, that thankfulness will become more and more and more. And Psalm 100 will begin to become a reality in your life until we experience it in full in eternity. And so let's, with these things in mind, with God's character in mind, with his actions and how he treats us in mind, let's go to him now in prayers of confession and intercession for our world. And then we're going to return to singing, to singing songs of grateful praise to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for being such a good God. We could not design a God that is better than you. We could not ask for someone better than you. You surprise us with glory and greatness wherever we turn. And Lord, none of that is more true than at Calvary where your son gave up his life. No one asked him to do that. He did it freely. He came freely out of love. And Lord, I pray that we would not need to work very hard to express gratitude to you today, to feel it deep in our bones, that you, Lord, are good to us. And so, Lord, would you hear now our prayers of confession, our prayers of intercession, our prayers of response? We pray.